We're going to continue our series called Lessons Learned. We're three weeks in. We've talked about some different things that I've learned along the way. When I got saved almost 33 years ago, I had zero clue, no idea what was going on with, uh, with the kingdom of God, with who I am in Christ, with what even the Bible has to say. Zero clue. Uh, and I like to think that I've picked a few things up along the way. So that's what we're talking about in this series. Last week, we talked about uh, it's your move, that it's not that we're just waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. He's expecting us to learn and grow, take the initiative and go forward. So it's your move. This week, I'm going to talk about something kind of serious. The sermon today is called God Means Business. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. God does not change like shifting shadows. We don't have to wonder if he's in a good mood or a bad mood. God does not change at all. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Christian culture and our worldly culture sees God in very different ways from generation to generation and even from community to community. I would say today's culture in general sees God as a loving God, accepting everyone, and there's no real expectations for anybody. We just sort of have to think there's a God and then we go to heaven. That's a bit of a caricature, but that's something that's fairly prevalent in our culture. We don't really have any responsibilities to God. We just sort of think there's a God and we go to heaven and nothing else really matters as far as our relationship with God. Now, years ago, it was not like that at all. There was a lot more fire and brimstone. I got started planting a church in Big Fork as my first long-term assignment in the ministry. And over there at the Presbyterian Church in Big Fork, Minnesota, I don't know if they still have it there, but there was a pulpit down in storage in the basement that was cracked in half. And it was cracked in half during a church service as the pastor was pounding the pulpit as hard as he could. And this huge wooden pulpit was cracked in. It didn't fall into two pieces, but a crack went right down the middle of it. They still had it just a couple years ago. And this was commonplace in years past. I remember listening to a Billy Graham sermon from, I believe, the 1940s on a record, you know, a record player uh, listening with headphones to a Billy Graham sermon. And that dude was angry. He was young. He was a fiery preacher. But I tell you what, he was mad and he was willing to point the finger and call people out. And it was harsh. You know, Jonathan Edwards basically the leader of the Great Awakening in North America in the 18th century, in the 1700s, prior to the formation of the United States even. The Great Awakening was birthed when Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. This was the sermon that got it all going. And you can see, I don't know too many modern 
megachurch pastors that are preaching the sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. You know, that's just not how it works in today's culture. So the culture looks at God differently, but God doesn't change. So we want to make sure that we aren't looking at the God of the culture, but we're looking at the one true God, the God described in the scriptures, the God of the Bible. And so today I want to talk about an aspect of God, and that is simply this. God means business. He's not playing around. There are expectations that he has of his followers. And so let's look at that today. All right. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, we talked about last time. This was very, very important to me. Huge forming section of scripture. We talked about, again, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, this is a a little section of scripture that I prayed to God with, and he responded to me and opened the door. And here I am walking with Jesus. But just a few verses later, verse 13 you know, we're going from here to here. Verse 13, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I read that so many years ago and it, it broke my heart. I thought many enter through the wide gate on the broad road that leads to destruction. Most people live a life that ends with destruction and only a few find life. This is terrible. It was very hard. And then you combine that with, I'm going to turn the page to Matthew 10, 28. And here Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Okay. So how much difference does it make if somebody kills me for my faith? You know, I believe in Jesus. They don't like that. And so they take me out. Well, then that just brings me to paradise with God. You know, I heard one uh, Christian man recently said to me, you can't threaten me with paradise. Well, there you go. Don't be afraid of them. Jesus is saying, it continues though, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay. Be afraid of the one who sends you into hell. And that's that wide road that leads to destruction. Well, that's, that's a little scary. And one of the great biblical themes, the New Testament theme, a, a huge New Testament theme, is the dividing of people into those who are saved from the wrath of God and brought into the glory of God versus those who are condemned and reap destruction and eternal punishment. This is a huge theme in the New Testament, that dividing of people. So all these years ago, when I I had that experience of becoming aware of God and then trying to find out the things of God, I realized that heaven and hell were real, that God means business, and that if what Jesus said in Matthew 7 is true, most people are missing it. And it was heartbreaking. I went from a 19-year-old, happy-go-lucky, didn't really care about anything, you know, whatever, go with the flow kind of guy, to now all kinds of people are going to hell. 
people that I know and love, my friends, family members, people that are wonderful and awesome, don't know Jesus, have rejected the things of God, make fun of the things of God. I used to make fun of the things of God. One of the things I did in my freshman year in college for entertainment was talk Christians out of their faith. It was surprisingly easy. And then I found out that God was actually real. Of course, I felt horrible about that, you know, but uh, it was one of those things of like, oh my gosh, this is true. What are we going to do? This is terrible. I mean, if I saw somebody who was injured, I'd want to go help them. If I saw somebody who needed something, I'm going to go help them out. Now I find out there's all kinds of people going to hell, and probably most people are going to hell. It was a crushing, absolutely breaking experience in my heart. It was just a disaster. I had literal pain in my chest for about 10 years. Just thinking about this idea that people go to hell, how horrible, horrible that was and how completely unacceptable it is for people to go to hell. I just cannot stand idly by and grab hold of that reality. Let me go to Matthew chapter 25 and just give an example, one of many examples where Jesus talks about or other places in the scripture talk about this dividing of people. Matthew chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 31, we have the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's not a very veiled parable. It's pretty straightforward. So let's go ahead and read that. And I want you to get a feel for this. The sermon today and then next week's go together very closely because I think there's the bad news side of the gospel, and there's the good news side of the gospel. And we need to be able to see both at the same time, but we need to see the good news. And as an early Christian, I really could only see the bad news because I wasn't in a world where a lot of people knew Jesus. And so I'm thinking everybody that I care about is going to hell. So I very much focused on the bad news. Next week, we'll talk a whole lot about the good news of Jesus Christ and grabbing hold of abundant life in Christ. But let's read this, the parable of the sheep and the goats, just to kind of let this sink in a little bit. Jesus tells this parable. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. 
I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, when I became aware of and clear with the idea of these these two outcomes of life in eternity, you know, glory and condemnation, heaven and hell, life and destruction. When I realized that these were real, it did break my heart and my reaction was a lot like the Apostle Paul's in Romans 9. You know, I started in the New Testament and so it took me a little bit to get to the the book of Romans. But when I got to Romans 9, you know, I had believed for a while by the time I got to Romans 9 and I realized who the Apostle Paul was. I'd been through the book of Acts. Then I get to Romans 9, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and my reaction to the reality of Jesus Christ and heaven and hell was very similar to the reaction of the Apostle Paul. In Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, he says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. So you can see here, Paul is heartbroken over the people that he cares about that don't know Jesus, who have rejected Jesus, who are in line for destruction. He is heartbroken and he is crushed. He describes it as great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And I would say that's absolutely where I was at. And the reason is because there are so many wonderful, awesome people outside of the faith. If you spent any time outside of Christian circles, you will realize that this world is made up of wonderful, beautiful, eclectic people that do not believe in Jesus, that have rejected Jesus. And that's why Jesus, of course, would die on the cross because he sees the brokenness of this world, the sin of this world, the lostness, the separation from God of this world. And he had to do something about it. So Jesus died on the cross to free us from all of that so we could be reconciled with the Father and have everlasting life. And Jesus was motivated to go to the cross. The Father was motivated to send his son. The apostle Paul was heartbroken over those who were separated from God. And that was the same feeling that I had. And it was, it was crushing. In the early years, in fact, I didn't respond well. Uh, the first few years, I just got super depressed. You know, I ended up quitting college. I didn't care about anything. You know, I had various other problems associated with just a deep, deep depression because I'm like, there's people going to hell. I don't know what to do about it. I felt completely powerless. I didn't even know how to understand the gospel, let alone express it to somebody who was in the position I was in before, who was just going to reject it anyway. So I didn't know what to do. And it, was, it hurt because God means business. He does send people to hell. There are two destinies. And I want to say this. To you out there, I don't care about your politics. I don't care about your lifestyle. I don't care what you think about people like me <laughs> who preach out of the Bible and try to bring the message of Jesus Christ to this world. I care that you find that narrow road that leads to life. 
I want you to find that. I want you to know that. I want you to understand that that is something that God has laid out for you to have, but most people miss it. So you've got to seek, you've got to ask, you've got to knock on that door earnestly and honestly so you can find God. Would you do that for me? Do that for yourself too. There's a God that is good that wants to know you and help you seek him out. Then in those early years, as a new believer, you know, I was getting kind of intense. If you can sort of notice that, I was getting kind of intense. And I began to figure out how to connect with the Christian world. You know, I wasn't really part of any Christian people, so I didn't know what to do. But I began to connect with the Christian world. And I, I noticed that there were many Christians who didn't seem to care if they failed God at all. It seemed meaningless to them, and that was quite confusing. You know, they were very strong in saying that they believed in God, they believed in Jesus, but they certainly didn't live their lives for Christ, and they didn't seem to care one way or another. They'll go sin, do this or that. Oh, yeah, no, I know I'm not supposed to, but I'll get forgiven. And they, and they just go and did whatever, and they just seemed flippant. And it was very confusing to me. Did they not care that people were lost? and doomed to destruction, and it is the church that is the ambassadors for Christ in this world, and that we have a purpose to reach the lost, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and to snatch people out of the flames? Did they not realize that? That we were part of the global redemption revolution? We're the ones who are here to bring the light of Christ to the world, to rescue those beautiful, wonderful people, so that they can come and have everlasting life with God? Did they not understand that? Did they not worry about their own salvation? They're just going to wander away from God and act all stupid and reject the scriptures and thus reject God in their behavior? Did they not care? I didn't see a whole lot of 1 Peter 1.17. So 1 Peter 1.17 says this, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. What that means is we're all going to face God. So we're going to live our lives here, conscious of the day when we will face God, living as strangers, not as just the regular worldly people running after all the things of the world and the pleasures and the riches and all that stuff. But instead, we go after the things of God and we live our lives in reverent fear, knowing we will have to answer to the Lord. I didn't see that. I didn't see Romans 9 where people's hearts were broken for the lost. I didn't see that. And so it was confusing. But God does mean business. And I'm going to tell a couple of quick personal stories that reinforced the fact to me beyond reading the scriptures that God meant business. One time I knew I was called into ministry. I knew God was calling me in and I just wanted to kind of test it out, you know, because I was feeling a little like I should ask God about that, you know, but I already knew. I knew God had called me to ministry. This was a probably three, four, five years maybe before I actually got into the place of becoming a pastor and that sort of a thing. And, and so I prayed and asked God, you know, is this something you really want me to do? You know, do you want me to go into ministry or not? Should I just do something else? And you know how you can hear that still small voice of God and you just kind of know what he's leading you to do? I got the harshest response to that. It was a, it was a very angry don't you play with me kind of an answer. You know what you're supposed to do and don't you mess around with me. 
And it kind of scared me. You can ask my wife, Trinette. I came out of my prayer time and I was a little shook. And she's like, what, what's going on there? And I, I kind of told her, well, I got a, got a strong negative answer from God. <laughs> you know, like, a, uh, I know God means business. One time as an early Christian, you know, you ask God for direction and he'll, he'll say things like, go tell this person this thing and, you know, stuff like that. He'll do that. Uh, and I had uh, chickened out a few times, not just once, but a, a kind of a series of chickening out. And then, uh, you know, so God would tell me to do something. I wouldn't do it. And then I had six months of silence of praying to God, asking God for wisdom, for direction, to explain the scriptures to me, give me guidance. Six months of silence. I was going up to the altar, you know, week after week to repent and ask God to speak and nothing for six months. I do believe God means business. He's not just somebody to get pushed around. But sadly, this mentality of really not caring, you know, not taking the things of God seriously in the Christian world still persists to this day. And it's still confusing to me. People can be complacent and unaware of spiritual realities. I think, uh, I think it's especially tough if you grow up in the church. Because for me, for the first several years, I was just shocked that God was real that there's a life after this life and that it can go different directions. I mean, it was just a shock. It was an emotional, just crushing experience to think all of these things are real. And if you're taught that from when you're little, it's just normal. You know, it's just something that you always know. And uh, it's a hard thing to really wrap your mind around. People go to hell like, what? It's just a difficult thing to grab, grab a hold of in your heart. And I think people who grow up in church, they sort of like compartmentalize that. You know, yeah, we say that in church, but God's good and he's nice. And so, I don't know, I, I guess it all works out. And they go along with their life. Uh, but that leads to complacency and it leads to a lack of a spiritual awareness of what's happening. They just don't see. They don't realize that they need to be used by God to do great and mighty things. God expects them. He expects us, his followers, to be productive citizens of the kingdom of God. They forget another parable from Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents in the 2011 NIV. It's the parable of the bags of gold, which, okay, I guess that makes more sense. Parable of the bags of gold. Talent, from what I understand, was about 70 pounds. It was a measure of weight. So if you got a talent of gold, that'd be like 70 pounds of gold. That's a whole lot of money. So let's read that from Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. It says this, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So God has trusted his wealth to us. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been 
Faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So far, so good. This is good and faithful servants being faithful with what God has given them in this life, that long time before we see the Lord again, either by going to him or at his coming. But it continues. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. So what's his view of God? I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Did he steal the gold? He did not. Did he lose it? He returned everything. But this is the response. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold away from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We like to talk about the good and faithful servant, but we also must avoid being the worthless servant who accomplishes nothing. All the things that God has given them, they do not use to advance the kingdom of God. They do not produce a return. We don't want to be that person. Now, again, next week, we're going to go to the good news of the gospel. We're going to talk about the bad news right now. But back then, I saw some things that a lot of people missed, but I also missed things that other people saw. And that's basically what we're going to talk about next week. I didn't see the joy of the Lord that manifests in abundant life now. I read John 10, 10, somehow I missed it. Somehow I just did not understand and put into my mind John 10, 10, which says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There is someone who steals, kills, and destroys. It is the devil, it is the, the demons, all the sin and evil of this world. There is stealing and killing and destroying, but that's not from God. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So that, again, that's next week. We're going to talk about grabbing hold of the victory, grabbing hold of the, the goodness of God. And the fact of the matter is that the lesson we'll talk about next week that I learned in that is the best evangelism is a living in abundant life now and other people wanting to figure out how they can have that too. That's where it's at. It's an absolute win-win. But more on that next week. God means business. But God is merciful. He's gracious. He's kind. God is good. God means business, but God is good. I want to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 of Revelation chapter 21. And these were some things that helped me out as a, a new believer as I'm trying to reconcile everlasting life and condemnation. I'm trying to reconcile how can all of this happen and these verses helped me out. I hope they'll help you out because when you read about the, the wide road and the narrow road, and Jesus says that only a few find the way to life, when you read this, then you understand that there is a tremendous opportunity for everyone to grab a hold of that life. 
So let's, let's read Revelation 21, these first few verses at the beginning. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. So 12,000 stadia. We don't use that anymore, but down in the footnotes, it says that is about 1,400 miles or about 2,200 kilometers. So how big is this holy city that is part of the future, is part of the next age, the age to come after this world, this uh, reality has passed away and we're in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem comes down. What is the size of that city? Well, 1,400 miles is a little bit farther than Duluth, Minnesota to New Orleans, Louisiana. So it, it is a huge city that so many people can fit in. The opportunity is there for everyone to be part of the good news and not have to be part of the bad news. But God means business. We need to get with the program. We need to serve the Lord. God is expecting a crowd. There is room for you. All right, we're going to land the plane. I want to close basically with two things. If you don't know Jesus, today is your day. There's a God in heaven that loves you. Don't get confused with religion. 
your misconceptions about people like me and whatever, all these different denominations and all the religious people, you go find Jesus. You go find God because God is real and he's got something for you and he's going to lead you into things and he's going to set you free and he'll clear your eyes up over time. And you need to do that yourself. And you do that by, you know, ask, seek, knock, Matthew 7. But also when you're ready to start that relationship, you, you pledge your life to walk with God. You ask God to take care of your past and any of the, the guilt and the shame and the stuff that you feel uh, you're defective in and just, Lord, erase all of that. He did that on the cross. And now I want to walk with you and learn your ways. And you pledge to do that. You pledge to walk this life with God and he'll do that with you and help you and bring you into the place that leads to life. And if you're somebody who considers yourself a Christian, I want you to step up. I want you to be somebody who takes seriously what it means to be a child of God. And so for you, I want to close with Ephesians chapter four, especially verse one, but verses one through three. And it says this, the apostle Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You're a child of God. I urge you live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If that's too vague, there's some specifics. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Christian, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Father, that though you mean business and that the cowardly and all those that you list Lord, they're in, a, they're in a dangerous place, but Lord, those who overcome can have everlasting life. And Father, anyone can come to you. The price has been paid for the sins of the whole world. So Lord, again, I, I just pray that you would prompt in the hearts of people who are far from you to come close, believing that there's something good there and that they can have everlasting life. And Lord, for us who claim you, who consider ourselves to be Christians, Lord, help us to take seriously walking with you and serving you and sacrificing for you. So Father, encourage us, help us to do the work necessary to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to grab hold of that and help us to have wisdom to understand how to live that out in the right way, like we'll talk about next week. So Heavenly Father, encourage us with this. I pray a blessing over everyone that hears this. Lord, I pray your peace, your joy, and your love would be upon us so that we can share all your good things with the people of this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you've got questions about some of the things I said, you can shoot me an email, pastormike at goodhope.ag. Uh, it may take me a day or two to get back to you, but I'd love to answer any questions you have about this. And then I just want to say, God bless you. Go serve the Lord. Have a great day.